Chapter 25. For it is if a man, going on a journey, suffered his slaves and entrusted his property to them, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. <clears throat> After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents, for to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have in abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. You may be seated. It's easy to see why people struggle with scripture. When just taken at face value, our readings today from Thessalonians and Matthew at best imply a need to prepare, to be prudent, to be bold. At worst, these texts might be seen as proof for the judgmental, angry, and exclusive ways people imagine God, the church, and Christianity to be. I wonder how we might hear or read these texts in our world today. How do we read these words from Paul and Thessalonians as people with a very different context in that first church hearing them? How do we hear this parable from Jesus that ends in weeping and gnashing of teeth and find good news? How do we celebrate Member Sunday with words like these? In case you didn't know, that's what we were doing today. From our first Thessalonians text, on its face it seems as though Paul is reassuring the church in Thessalonica of their goodness, but at the expense of others. He says, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For people outside of the church, for people inside of the church, for me, these words from Paul feel judgmental and exclusive. 
I also struggle with the images Paul creates around light and dark, especially in light of the realities of racism and white supremacy in our world today. I wonder how Paul's words perpetuate an ideal in our minds of light being good and dark being bad. This last week, I was at a required continuing education conference for pastors and deacons in their first three years of ministry. There were many things that were helpful for me throughout the week, but what was most worthwhile really was getting to spend time with colleagues from around our region. Together, we represented southwestern Washington, northwestern Washington, Oregon, Alaska, eastern Washington, Idaho, and Wyoming. One of my colleagues is doing ministry in Shifmaref, Alaska. He describes it as being geographically at the end of the world, and he's not wrong. Shifmaref is a village on an island in one of the most northern parts of our planet, and because of climate change, the island has been literally melting into the sea. I asked my colleague how he did, how he fared through his first full winter there last year. And during those winter months, Shifmaref and the 600 people who live there see about two hours of twilight each day. No direct sunlight even peaks over that horizon. What surprised me was that he very casually shrugged off the darkness. That wasn't the issue. There are vitamins and electricity to help us regulate our systems during the winter. What he said was worse, was much harder, was the summer. It was endless day, endless light. There's only so much blackout curtains can do he said that he would forget to eat, forget to sleep. Some of the children on the island literally just stay awake for days during the summer until they physically pass out. <laughs> Being a child of the light during the summer in Shifmaref has a very different meaning. I recognize the context in which we live and where our churches are today are very different than the church in Thessalonica that Paul writes to. There are the realities that come from being in geographical areas that are just totally different. And we, in our context today, can lift up how our neighbors of color might hear these words of anti-darkness. Scripture is not just contextual. It's not just for a time and place. We believe the Bible is the living word of God. And so, as I dived into this scripture for this week, I asked, how is this living word breathing today? I push back against Paul's words to the church in Thessalonica because the truth is, even if he wasn't writing to our context or to Shifmaref, no one can have day without night. And his imagery may have been helpful for that church in their fear and anxiety, but surely the people in Thessalonica eventually passed out in their attempts to keep sober and awake. Encouraging an extreme or a duality of one or the other is at the very least problematic for our lives, because the truth is most of us just don't live up to it. Most of us aren't sitting up through the night waiting for Jesus. Most of us enjoy and prefer peace and security in our lives, and the idea of sudden destruction doesn't sound like good news. As we see with stories of Jesus eating together with his followers, wine was often a part of fellowship time together. I am sure there were people in Thessalonica who heard the words, be sober, and wondered if they had somehow failed Jesus. I am sure there are people today who struggle with sobriety, who hear these words from Paul and wonder if they can still be beloved, if they can still be called children of God, because being sober is not something that they can physically do without help. 
And the short answer is, of course they are. There is a part of me that wants to dig a hole in the ground and put our text from Matthew inside it. I want to bury this parable because I find it very difficult to imagine Jesus or God as the master in this story. And on first reading, I struggled to see how any of this was good news to anyone. It's angry and judgmental and exclusive language like this that pushed me away from the church for a third of my life. And so a few things we should know. The talents that are being talked about in Matthew are a kind of coin. It's understood that they're silver and that they're worth a lot of money, like 15 years worth of wages for a slave. The word talent as we use it today as a skill or particular natural gift derives from this story. But the time of Jesus telling it, none of the disciples listening would hear it immediately as, don't hide away your skills. And I keep reminding myself that this is a parable. It isn't meant to make total sense. And even for Jesus' time, there are continuity errors with the way in which slave owners and slaves interacted. And because of time, and I'm not going to keep you here all morning, we can't get into all of them today. But it's a reminder to me that this parable is meant to get us thinking. It's meant to push our buttons, to frustrate us, to make us want to bury it. Part of the reason I struggle with these texts is because I have heard them and know that many others hear them as proof of judgmental, angry, and exclusive experiences people have had with God and the church and Christianity. But part of the reason why both Paul and Matthew go into this world of judgment is because they are living in a world where justice is difficult to find. The Thessalonians are facing persecution and oppression from outside forces. This parable from Matthew is the lead up to Jesus going to Jerusalem to be crucified. When we struggle to see justice around us, we look for judgment. We look for God's agency, for God's work. And for Matthew and Paul, that judgment comes in violent language like we see in 1 Thessalonians, or angry language like we see in Matthew today. And so what if the talent that each of the slaves is given is rather not just a symbol of money or just a symbol of talents and skills, but rather a chance, a chance to act justly, a chance to participate in the world around us, a chance to follow God's calling to us. I have been struggling a lot with the news. I've mentioned my struggle before in previous messages, and part of that lately has been the ongoing reports from women of, and men of harassment and abuse by people in power. I believe the victims, and because I believe the victims, I am grieving. I am grieving the images I had of actors and politicians that I looked up to. I am grieving the injustice and the heartbreak of these stories. I am grieving the silence that has been kept for all these years. It seems like because of the culture around harassment and abuse that it wasn't the victims who dug the hole to bury their stories in, but rather the culture around them and even the perpetrators who have kept those stories buried like a talent in the ground. The slave says, I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. What might have been different in our world if when someone shared the pain and hurt they had experienced, instead of it being buried, it was brought out into the open? Isn't that partly what we're seeing now? The one with the five comes back with another five. Once injustice brought into the open, once we begin to act justly, to believe the victims, 
It more than snowballs is an avalanche, an avalanche of stories of words of judgment in our world and hope for real justice. Maybe the talent we are given by our Lord and Master is a need to act justly, to listen to these stories and believe, to work towards justice. Our own church council is now creating a policy on abuse and harassment, a conversation which began because of these stories. And maybe the talent we are given by our Lord and Master is a chance to participate in the world around us. It is really easy for us to turn inward on ourselves in the face of so much need in our communities. But we can't hide our heads in the ground. We are also called out into our community and into our world, and maybe it's this calling that is the talent our Lord gives us. A calling to ministry, a calling to your family, a calling to your neighbor. We don't talk much about vocation, which is a word that Luther used to describe our calling as people of God, and not just pastors or priests, but rather as any Christian, the calling that God makes to us. We believe that this is our occupation or roles that we carry out and that we are called to. And when we lean into our callings, whether that be as parent, teacher, engineer, singer, God calls us into all of these roles, and when we lean into them, we can sense the return we're feeling. It's fulfilling, it's life-giving, sometimes it's exhausting, but more often than not, the return is much greater than we even gave in. It reminds us that we are beloved children of God. And when we fail at all of these things, when we fall asleep waiting for God's justice in our world, when we bury our heads in the sand because to do anything else feels impossible, when we fail to find fulfilling roles in our lives, when we recognize that although we want to be children of the day, as Paul says, we are also children of the night. We're both sinner and saint, servant and free. Sometimes we miss the chances that God gives to us. And Jesus goes to the cross not to bring us judgment, anger, or exclusion, but to bring us justice, hope, and courage. Jesus goes to the cross for the forgiveness of our sin, to give us worth, to invite us inside from the outer darkness. Jesus rises from the dead to bring us a hope of new life, a hope of God's peace and love and justice in our world. Jesus defeats sin and death because God loves this broken world, and Jesus does all of this to give us courage. The courage to keep our heads out of the ground and in our world to take chances. Courage to speak out against injustice. Courage to participate in our communities. Courage to live out God's calling to us, to each and every one of you, to know that you are beloved, that you are a child of God. And as we celebrate our member Sunday, as we celebrate this community together, we celebrate our belovedness. We celebrate our relationship together and our relationship with our Lord and Master. And I hope, as Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, that we can encourage each other. We can give each other courage to live together, to serve together, and to love together. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.
That works too. I invite you to stand as you are able for our hymn of the day. 